From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler show you what it takes to become a top 10% performer in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. I'm your co-host today, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, and usually Dr. Raleigh Nadler is with us, but he's on vacation this week. We are your leadership development coaches, and we have helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. Today's show features Sonia Lubomirsky, and we're very happy to have her with us. Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky is Professor of Psychology at the University of California, Riverside. Her honors include a Faculty of the Year Award, Faculty Mentor of the Year Award, a Templeton Positive Psychology Prize, and a million-dollar grant from the National Institute of Mental Health to conduct research on the possibility of permanently increasing happiness. Her book, The How of Happiness, was released in January 2008, Penguin Press, and has been translated into 17 languages. You know, Relly and I want to bring you the best in current leadership topics, interviews with proven leaders, and provide evidence-based best practices to help you develop more leaders in your organization. We know that leaders are the heartbeat and obviously the center of every organization, but most leaders really can underestimate just how much influence they have over others as well as themselves, and thus They and their teams, well, they will underperform. But doing just a few things differently can really improve your performance and your organization. What you'll learn in every one of our shows is something about how to develop both yourself and others in your organization to be better leaders. What happy companies know about performance, emotional intelligence and positive psychology strategies, brain and neuroscience contributions to being a top performer, something about generation or gender differences, work-life balance, and strategies for managing your boss. You know that um, I think Sonia's on the line. Sonia, you want to say hello? Hi there. It's great to be here. Yay. We're glad to have you, and I know we have a lot to talk about, and we're going to start our our discussion in just a minute. I just want to give our audience a little bit of uh, maybe some of the statistics that Relly and I like to make sure our audiences understand about leadership development so that as we talk about your subject today, which is happiness, they understand that this is real science. Did you know you can increase performance by as much as 77% while increasing your life and professional satisfaction by as much as 50% with coaching? You can also increase profit by creating coaching networks inside your company in just one day. And studies show that happiness is tied to profit by more than 93%. We know that leaders have more than 70% influence over the climate of their teams, and so we know they are the emotional thermostat for every company. And as a leader moves up the corporate ladder, 85% of their competency for success is tied to emotional intelligence. And leaders in the top 10% will produce twice as much revenue as those below them. When coaching is added to training, a person's productivity is enhanced by as much as 88%, while training alone is about 22%. So for more information and data 
on coaching and information that might help your organization, you can contact me, Kathy Greenberg, at www.h2cleadership.com for happiness books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership, and coaching services, and for Dr. Relly Nadler at www.truenorthleadership.com for his emotional intelligence books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership, and coaching boot camps. And today we're going to be speaking to a specialist on the science of happiness, and today's guest, as I said, is Sonia Lubomirsky. She's not only a professor of psychology at the University of California, Riverside, but she's also a summa cum laude from Harvard University, and that's also where she got her Ph.D. in social personality psychology from Stanford University as well. Lubomirsky currently teaches courses in social psychology and positive psychology and serves as a graduate advisor. Her teaching and mentoring of students have been recognized with, as I've said before, the Faculty of the Year and Faculty Mentor of the Year Awards. In 2002, Lubomirsky's research was recognized with a Templeton Positive Psychology Prize, and currently she is an associate editor of the Journal of Positive Psychology with co-editor Ken Sheldon, and she holds a five-year million-dollar grant from the National Institute of Mental Health to conduct research on the possibility of permanently increasing happiness. I love to say that. Her research has been written up in hundreds of magazines and newspaper articles. She has appeared in multiple TV shows, radio shows, and featured documentaries around the world and lectures widely to a variety of audiences. Her book, The How of Happiness, was released in 2008 by Penguin Press and, as I said, is now in 17 languages. We are thrilled to have you. Welcome to the show, Sonia. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Yay. We want you to be happy, of course, Uh because if you're not, how are you going to help others, right? Right, right. Okay, so we always start our show with one key question, and that is, who have been the most influential people or thinkers in your life and career, and how have they shaped your thinking? Well, I guess I'll have to, I would have to start, I have lots of people that I could name, but I would have to start with my two mentors in graduate school. Uh, and mentors, of course, are really important to people, uh, as you know. And so there was Susan Nolan Hooksema, who studies rumination or overthinking. She's the author of a book called Women Who Think Too Much, which is really a great book about people who have problems with sort of overthinking things. And then my other mentor is Lee Ross, who's actually um, a re- uh, an expert on conflict and negotiation, which doesn't have much to do with happiness. Um, but he's really taught me how to think, you know, how to be a, a great scientist, how to ask great questions, um, and we have really wonderful conversations, you know, up to this day. So, so I guess the two mentors, and, and of course I read a lot too, so I, I get, I, I'm influenced a great deal by, by, you know, all kinds of, you know, novelists, uh, philosophers, uh, I'm just a, a huge, a huge reader. And uh, I believe you're also the mother of uh, a daughter? Uh, two kids, a, a seven-year-old boy and a, a ten-year-old girl, and uh, yeah, they're the, the ha- definitely the happiness of my life. Oh. And my husband too. Well, that's wonderful, and I'm sure they're influencing your thinking all the time. As you know, we have a new book coming out, "What Happy Working Mothers Know," and of course, you're mentioned in that book. So, experiencing that first time, I'm sure, is an influential model. Uh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, let me ask you: How did you get the idea? to focus on the science of happiness and to write 
this fabulous book, The How of Happiness. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, um, when I, the first day of graduate school, uh, when I came to Stanford, uh, I started talking to my mentor, Lee, Lee Ross, and we started talking about these questions like, you know, what, you know, what is happiness and what is the secret to happiness? And um, back then, this was uh, about 20 years ago, actually exactly 20 years ago, um, very few people were doing research on happiness. It was considered a fuzzy, kind of unscientific topic. Of course, lots of people write about it. Um, and so when we started doing some research on it, um, I was kind of insecure at the time because I didn't think, as I said, like it, it didn't seem a very scientific topic to study. Um, and then um, people kept urging me to write a book about my work, and I just thought, well, you know, I'm not ready yet. I don't know enough. Um, and then about, about 10, 15 years later, I just thought, you know, now there's enough research. There's now anywhere everywhere from neuroscientists to sociologists to economists to psychologists are studying happiness, all different, all different perspectives. And I felt like now there's enough research out there to, to write a book about it, and I wanted to write a book that was accessible, like a self-help book, but that was all based on, on the empirical research. Well, you know, we're very glad that you did that. And I know that behind all of this, obviously, for 20 years prior to writing the book, you must have had a great love for research and teaching. So how did you turn this passion, this love for research and teaching, into such a terrific topic? Well, you know, I think a lot of it was luck, you know, that... that uh, I started doing. I started asking these questions about what is happiness and why are some people happier than others. Um, so a little bit of serendipity there. And then you know, of course, when you're when you're working on something that interests you, you're as you say, you know, you're passionate about it. You work harder. You're more likely to succeed. And so I kind of kept working on that. If I started, if I had started with a topic that uh, that was less interesting, I may not have, you know, been here. I may and certainly may not have written a book about it. Now you um, list. 225 studies on the benefits of happiness in your book. And um, maybe you can talk a little bit about how you went about looking at these studies and finding them and and where maybe they came from. Sure, sure. That's a, that's a great question. You know, um, when I talk about happiness, some people think, some people sort of have this reaction that, well, you know, happiness is something... It's very hedonistic, you know. It's about pleasure and it's about it's very individualistic, maybe a, almost a selfish goal to have, you know, to be happy. And, and I, I never really agreed with that. And I thought that be, ha, being a happy person is not just a good thing for yourself, it's also good for others. And so my colleagues and I decided to investigate what are the benefits of happiness. So once you are a happy person or once you work on becoming happier, what kind of good things come to you? What kinds of good things accrue to you? And so we found these 225 studies from all over all over the different 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 journals, um, and they were they were different domains: health, work, and relationships. And what we found is that happier people, or people who experience more positive emotions, are more successful at work. They make more money. They're more creative. They're physically healthier. They're better leaders and negotiators. Um, they have more social support. They're more likely to get married. So if you're happier today, you're more likely to find a marriage partner. You're more likely to get help from your coworkers. Um, and you're more other-centered. So happier people are not more selfish or self-centered, as I think some people think. They're actually more philanthropic. They're more likely to help others. So it sort of, you know, it tells you, it, it, it suggests that all this work suggests that becoming a happier person is, is a really good thing, not just because it, it feels good, but because it has all these benefits. Well, you know, I have to tell the audience, if they go to find your book, it's a very appetizing book. There's a wonderful pie on the cover of this book. Mm-hmm. You, you have a little story about that pie, I think. Yeah, well, you know, I have a, well, the pie is, stands in for a pie chart. 
So because my theory, my, my, and I, Ken Sheldon is my collaborator on this, our theory um, has to do with sort of what determines happiness, and we wrote the theory in the form of a pie chart, and the pie kind of represents that. And the question that we ask is, what are the most important factors or determinants of happiness? Um, and the answer, which comes from lots and lots of studies, is that about half, about 50% of that comes from genetics, about 10% comes from your life circumstances. And I should say these numbers shouldn't be taken too seriously. They're approximations. And then about 40% of individual differences in happiness can be explained by what we do, you know, how we act, how we behave, how we think. Um, and so I have a 40% sort of slice cut out of the pie that, are, that sort of represents this. That's the part of happiness that we can control. Well, this... This set point is something that we should get into, but I'd like to just take a quick break, so hold that thought, and we will come back to Leadership Development News with Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky and the How of Happiness in just a minute. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50 to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Dr. Greenberg, co-author of What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Women Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical training for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy herself is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group training, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch her at the Governor's Conference for Women Nationally and as spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America throughout 2009 for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results. To learn more about adding Kathy and Happy Company's healthy people to your team, visit Kathy at h2cleadership.com. That's h2cleadership.com. 
homeowners, real estate investors, bankers. Listen up and tune in to Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight, the show that breaks it all down and gives it to you straight. Are you at risk of foreclosure? Interested in buying a foreclosed property? Mark Bull has the answers to the questions you might forget to ask. Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight broadcast live on the Voice America Business Channel Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific. You can't afford not to tune in. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking to the author of The How of Happiness, Sonia Lupomersky. Before we went to the break, we were talking about set point and um, perhaps what it is that we need to know about happiness. And Sonia, we were talking about the 40-10 rule, meaning 40% intentional activity and 10% circumstance. And uh, if we compare that to the data that I'm hearing now over the airwaves, if you will, on positive psychology, that we might be actually shifting from a 50-50 to a 80-20, what do you think about that, 80% being genetically determined and 20% being circumstantial or what we might call intentional activity? Well, I guess we, we, we need to talk about where those numbers come from. And the, the, the numbers that, come from, that, that explain which part of individual differences in happiness is explained by genes comes from research with twins. And it's a field called behavioral genetics. And what researchers do is they compare the happiness levels of identical twins to the, to the similarity in happiness levels of fraternal twins. We know identical twins share 100% of their DNA, and fraternal twins share 50%. And what they find is that identical twins are much more similar in their happiness than our fraternal twins. And, and when you look at a, all these studies together, um, by far the most sort of common result is that, it, that the heritability of happiness is about 50%. I would very much... Uh, question or disagree that it's 80%. 80 or 90 is really what, is what you get for something like height. And, and happiness is just not, uh, not very close, I think, to something like height and sort of in how genetically rooted it is. That's perfect. I love hearing that because, you know, as, as people who are promoting the thought that happiness is something that you can have as a lifelong trait if you work on it, and I know we both believe that, it's so much better for the audience who's listening and those who read your books to recognize that, in fact, happiness is within reach and it is not merely a genetic set point. So that was terrific. So um, tell us a little bit about your uh, theory on hedonic adaptation before we get into the meat of the book. What is hedonic adaptation? Sure. Well, hedonic adaptation is the phenomenon that we tend to, people tend to get accustomed to or get used to changes in their lives fairly quickly, especially positive changes. And then we start to take them for granted. Uh, and we all have this experience, you know, we get a raise, if we get a salary raise, and at first it's really a nice boost. But then after a while, you know, we start spending more money, you know, on a weekly basis, and we, we take it for granted. We move into a new house. Uh, even relationships or new jobs, we start to adapt to or get used to. You know, my, the example I like to use is I had LASIK, laser eye surgery, 
and I hated, you know, glasses and contact lenses. I was almost blind from age 12. And then I have this perfect vision, you know, after a three-minute procedure, and it took me about two weeks to get completely, you know, used to it and take it for granted. And what I argue is that hedonic adaptation is one of the obstacles to becoming happier because if we sort of take everything for granted in our lives, then if we get adapt to all positive changes, then how can we ever become happier? And so part of my book talks about how can we thwart or slow down that adaptation? You know, how do we not take our spouse for granted or our job or, or even our new car? It's amazing. Such small things in life can make us so joyful. So can you talk a little bit about some of the advantages of activity when you use the words variety and timing and surprise? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, sure. So um, what I argue in my book is that, you know, 40% of sort of what explains why some people are happier than others have to do with what, how we act, you know, our activities, how we behave, how we think. And um, these activities, the reason that they are uh, a great way to become happier, and by, by activities I mean things like having an optimistic attitude um, and expressing gratitude, investing in your relationships, uh, exercising, physical exercise, um, lots and lots of things. I think we'll probably talk about them more later. But what the advantages of, of these activities, you can vary them, you can time them. So some, it's kind of like an exercise program. You know, the more varied and dynamic it is, the less likely you'll adapt to it. And also a lot of these activities have to do with attention and where you direct your attention. I really think that's critical. What you're thinking about, what your attention is on, determines your experience. It determines your happiness. You know, are you, are you dwelling on the negative thing that happened this morning or are you thinking about something neutral or positive? So, so that's sort of the secret to all of these activities we can do has to do with, you know, making them varied um, and, and helping us sort of deploy our attention in positive ways. You know, it's funny. I'm not sure if this is your quote or Ed Diener's quote, but I know that both of you are, are, are relatively close. Your focus then becomes your experience. Is that accurate? Right, exactly. I mean, this is actually uh, originally came from William James, who's a philosopher considered to be the father of psychology. Oh, thank you. But he says, yes, he basically your attention, what you direct your attention to is your experience. I mean, it's your life. It's sort of what, if right now, what are you paying attention to? Are you, are you paying attention to the book you're reading, to the argument you had, to looking forward to the vacation next week? I mean, what your attention is on determines your experience. So attention is really critical. Well, it's fascinating to me because another gentleman we've had on the show who closely resembles those remarks is Jim Lair from the mm. Human Performance Institute. And we talked to Jim about the importance of story. And I know in my life, having lost my parents um, fairly close together, having lost a child and having gone through two divorces where I paid significant support, it was always my understanding that what I focused on in my life has been what has been good, mm-hmm. um, the, the blessings that I've had, and therefore these things, while they are setbacks, uh, don't cause me to have large gaps in my ability to stay happy and my resiliency level stays relatively high. So maybe we could talk about this, the happiness interventions that you've conducted that have helped people to stay on these, um, these long courses of, of, of happiness renewal. Sure. I mean, it sounds like you uh, naturally do this, um, sort of focusing on the positives. And I should say that it doesn't mean that we deny the negatives, you know, or trivialize them. But there's a time, you know, there's a time to address one's problems, and and then there's a time to focus on the positives. So, um, so I do what are called happiness interventions. They're basically 
experimental studies where I test happiness activities, and they're basically like clinical trials, you know, like for a drug, but instead of testing a drug, I'm testing a new drug, I'm testing an activity. And the kinds of things that we've tested are, um, for example, we ask people to go and do acts of kindness for others, you know, like tomorrow do five acts of kindness, you know, things that you don't normally do on a daily basis. You know what I do always? Yeah. I put quarters in meters when I see an expired I love minute. that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and it gives you a little boost. I mean, it's so minor. You know, I talk about, you know, there's one time that I, I gave a guy at a grocery store some change because he was missing change. It was nothing. It was like 80 right. cents. And he was so happy, you know. Uh, I mean, little things can, of course, the big things are, are good, too. Um, I do studies. I do. I've done a number of studies on gratitude and having people systematically practice and express gratitude, either by writing things that they're grateful for on a weekly basis or a writing gratitude letters. So, so when you do it in an authentic way, in a genuine way, some people find it kind of corny or hokey, you know, to sort of express gratitude. But you all could find. We all could probably find a way that fits us. Um, and I, so I said, the, the key is I do this systematically. Like, we all know that gratitude is important and kindness is important and exercise is important and that relationships are important. But I guess the, the, what I do differently from, from others is that I actually do these systematic experiments to test whether doing these things on a regular basis makes people happy and also to test how and why do they work. You know, it's funny. I think that one of the things that I have really come to love about your work is not only the small things that can make a big difference, you know, as we said in the introduction, very small things can increase a person's emotional intelligence about themselves and how they impact um, others around us, but these kind acts, as you say in your book, lead us to see ourselves as generous and to feel confident, competent, in control, and optimistic about our ability to help. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the kindness, there's, there's um, many, many reasons why being kind and generous and thoughtful to others increases happiness. Of course, I'm not, I'm not advocating that's the only reason. The reason to become, be kind to others is to, is to promote your own happiness. Um, but it's a great side benefit. And, yeah, absolutely, it, it makes you feel good as a person. And I think the biggest uh, consequence of doing acts of kindness are the social consequences. You know, you, you, uh, you get smiles uh, from people, you get gratitude, um, you know, you might make new friends. Um, so social things, social relationships are, are really critical to well-being. So. But you have really taken this to a science. I think uh, with your collaborators in the, in the research that you do, you actually get participants to come into the lab, and they're instructed to do three or nine acts of kindness per week for a period of 10 weeks. What, what happens, and, and how do you differentiate, differentiate these groups so that you know that the act of kindness is having an impact? Right. So what I do is I, I measure people's happiness usually before I start the intervention and maybe in the middle, uh, right after. I often have follow-ups, maybe a month later or three months later. Um, the particular study you're, you're referring to, I had people um, vary their acts of kindness so you could do sort of all kinds of different things, you know, every week, or people picked three acts of kindness or three categories that they kept doing over and over again. So, for example, you might do an extra chore in your household um, that you don't usually do, which makes your household very happy, um, and then you, but you sort of keep doing that. And what I found is that people who varied their acts of kindness got happier over time, but people who did the same thing every week actually did, you know, actually got less happy. I think they resented it, um, or maybe they found it just really boring and monotonous. So, so that that sort of shows you that variety is important. So I'm I'm not only testing these strategies, but I'm testing 
you know, why are they working and how to make them how to make them more optimal and to make them succeed even more. Now, this is interesting. You also have a well-being composite that helps people understand differences around being happy. And I believe you also have some global happiness items in here so that there are some cultural distinctions that you've found as well in your work. That's right. So I, I, I've done one, um, well, a couple of cross-cultural studies. I'm interested in culture. Well, a lot of people, a lot of us are interested in in cultural differences, you know, and, and the pursuit of happiness is something that would seem to be a good topic to explore in regard, with regard to culture because you could argue that there's certain cultures that aren't as supportive of um, of an individualistic pursuit of happiness. So, so for example, Asian cultures are more their their norms against kind of sort of this individualistic kind of self-absorbed pursuit that there's uh, there's not as much of a focus on personal agency or on mm-hmm. self-improvement. And so, so I did a study where I um, compared Asian Americans; these are immigrants who live in Southern California to Anglo Americans. And it was interesting. What I found was that both of them, both groups benefited by trying happiness strategies. In this particular study, I had people try to be more optimistic on a regular basis by keeping a journal and also try to be more grateful on a regular basis by writing gratitude letters uh, once a week. And so the Asian Americans and the Anglo Americans, all of them, benefited from doing this. They got happier, but the Asian Americans did not benefit as much, and they didn't put as much effort into it. So maybe they took it a little bit less seriously. On the other hand, I also I found the Asian Americans, um, their relationships improved more um, than the Anglo-Americans when they did these activities, when they tried to be more optimistic and more grateful. So I think for Asian Americans, the, they're, they're, um, they're much more sort of family relationship oriented less more collectivist than individualist so so that might have been the case but i'm still trying to understand those findings well it's amazing that you're actually able to isolate such a small finding in such a big way but you know what? we're going to go to a break sonia so hold that thought and we'll be right back this is leadership development news and we're speaking to sonia Lubomirsky, who's talking about her book the how of happiness so please come right back The bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50 to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. 
Dr. Greenberg, co-author of What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Women Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical training for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy herself is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group training, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch her at the Governor's Conference for Women Nationally and as spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America throughout 2009 for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results. To learn more about adding Kathy and Happy Company's healthy people to your team, visit Kathy at h2cleadership.com. That's h2cleadership.com. Dad, let's sing that bedtime song. Rockabye baby by Newton's treetop. His first law of motion makes sure you won't stop. The same rules of physics apply to a ball. While gravity is a force that makes things fall. By the sixth grade, many girls lose interest in math and science. But it's never too early to set your daughter's future in motion. For some simple ideas, go to girlsgotech.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Girl Scouts of USA and Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking to Sonia Lubomirsky. She is the author of The How of Happiness, and she's talking to us about the scientific approaches to getting the life you want. Before we went to break, we were talking a little bit about some of the research that Sonia is doing. And, Sonia, the question I have for you is, what most often prevents people from really taking that first step to look at their own happiness and improve their life? Mm, that's a great question. You know, I, I used to pick up self-help books and and just kind of feel like, ah, oh, you know, I, I don't think I can do this. Because um, they would say, oh, you should go count your blessings, or you should do this, be more forgiving. And, and I realized that, that I think one really important variable is, is what I call fit, is that you need to choose the strategy that, that fits your personality, that fits your goals, that fits your lifestyle, um, that, you might, that you would benefit from the most. And I think what often happens is that people will get advice to do something to make themselves happier, and they, and they just they don't find it natural, they don't find it meaningful, they don't find it enjoyable, and so then they don't do it, right, or they just don't want to do it. Um, and so I have it actually in my book in the third chapter, I developed a diagnostic test that, you know, a scale that helps people um, determine, identify which strategy or, or set of strategies will benefit them the most, will fit them the most. I think that's the first step to take is to figure out what is it that's going to benefit you the most. Is it going to be expressing gratitude or expressing gratitude in a certain way? Is it going to be meditation or maybe a spiritual activity or being more forgiving or investing in more in relationships? Um, so I think that's really critical. And then after you chose something that, that fits you, um, the, the second key is effort, you know, is commitment and motivation. 
and put a lot of effort into it. I mean, I think when you look at the titles of a lot of books about happiness, they're all about kind of how easy it is to become happier, um, that everyone, any, anyone can become happy. And I agree that anyone can become happier, but it's not easy. When you think about sort of all the worthwhile goals that we have in life, whether it's raising children or succeeding in our careers or becoming fit, um, and I mean fit, I mean physically fit, um, you know, they all involve a lot of work and effort. And that, that, that work might be very rewarding, but it's not, it's not sort of, quote, quick and easy. You know, nothing is really quick and easy, but I think our, if you will, fast-paced way of living, our world of virtuosity and virtue, I want to say it's not, not only being virtuous, but vi- being virtual mm-hmm. has created a lot of complexity for people that, that do you think might in fact decrease our happiness level with expectations that are out of sync with reality? Well, it's interesting. It's actually one of the explanations for why depression is rising, rates of depression is rising in, in developed countries is that we, we have this sort of the sense that we should have more, we have more control. We feel like we should have control of our lives. Um, but but we but you know so when things don't work out we blame ourselves and and as you say there's there's such complexity there's so much information overload out there we're so busy uh, I actually think being busy and being rushed is one of the greatest enemies of happiness you know the 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 I, I talk about you know savoring in my book and living in the present and being grateful all of those things involve kind of in, in a sense stopping time a little bit right and kind of pausing to smell the roses so to speak. Um, and so, yeah, so yes, yeah, sort of our, our hurried world can definitely interfere with happiness. And then the virtual part of it, I mean, sometimes it's good. People can, you know, have friends who are email buddies, you know, or have, you know, communicate with people with support, support groups on the web, which is wonderful. But on, on the other hand, um, technology can really separate us in our relationships, right, distance ourselves from one another, which also can decrease happiness. Now, let me ask you a little bit about this this concept of effort and fit. Do you think everyone, even those who are incredibly um, gifted with blessings of happiness, can can use more happiness interventions? And if so, what might they be? Sure. Well, I mean, I think there there certainly are people who are very who are very happy, and they they don't want to, they or no don't need to, or want to be 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 happier or put the effort into it. So I certainly don't wouldn't suggest that everyone should do this but only those who, who really want to and need to. And you also can be too happy, actually. That's sort of a little digression, but there are, there are people who are kind of 10 on a 10-point scale all the time, and they're not appropriate. Uh, um, but, yeah, so I, but I think, you know, most of us, when, we, when, when researchers do surveys, they find that most people put happiness, uh, the goal of becoming happier at the top of their list. So we can all sort of benefit from these strategies. And so in my book, I talk about 12 different happiness strategies, um, and and you know you you choose what fits you best and you read about those two. maybe we should talk about more specifically those strategies. I would love that. No, please pick up whichever ones you'd like. Sure, sure. Well, you know, I start by talking about positive thinking and being more optimistic, being more grateful, not ruminating, not overthinking things, not comparing ourselves to others. So those are all strategies that have to do how we think about ourselves and the world around us. You know how positive we are. Those are really, really critical, you know, to have a positive attitude, to feel a sense of control. Um, so I have sort of those kind of strategies that have to do with thinking, then there's strategies that have to do with acting, like doing acts of kindness for others, investing in our relationships, you know. So, so um, you know, 
giving thanks to your partner for something they they did, maybe some little thing that you don't often thank them for, you know, thanks for going to the grocery store after work, uh, admiring uh, our friends and our partners, our children, I mean, saying positive things, uh, showing respect, truly listening. I mean, all of these, a lot of these strategies come from, you know, they're not... They're not mind-boggling, you know. You 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 wouldn't be surprised to hear about them. But I think what's amazing is that how how little things can really impact your happiness. And I have a chapter about your body, physical exercise, meditation, smiling, and acting happy. You know, research shows that just if you if you just pretend that you're happy, just acting happy can make you happier. Oh yeah, the yoga laughing clubs have proven that. Definitely. Right, right, and also just smiling. You know, you feel better. And I think a lot of that is social. You know, people will approach you, you know. Um, there's a great little study that was done that I talk about in my book where about 10, I think it was 10 or 12, severely depressed women who have tried everything. I think for 20, an average of 27 years, they had tried everything to ameliorate their symptoms of depression. Nothing helped. So they got uh, Botox injections to get rid of the frown lines in their faces. And they, um, I think I think eight of the 11 of them uh, got significantly happier. That I love that. That's a great find. Isn't that great? And it, you know, it could be the facial feedback that somehow just not frowning, you know, makes you feel better. It could be the social consequences. People, you know, are more likely to respond to them positively, you know, because they look more happy. And of course, you also are more. You look more attractive, so you might feel more attractive. Well, I, whatever it is, I think we should write a brochure and send it to all the plastic surgeons. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think they'll like that study. Great data. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, I was at a conference, um, the the Florida Conference for Women, where I was a speaker, and um, we were asked a question, uh, myself and, and my panel experts, about how do you how do you get a child to redirect their energy, for example, and you have children, and I'm sure many of our listeners have children, and um, often, you know, children will start the day off with a little bad taste in their mouth about something that happened the day before, and now they have to face it at school again. And, you know, between the ages of 7 and 12, that, that's a big effort. And um, so one of the audience members said, well, what can you say to a child that might help them start their day on a better note? Mm. You know, it's a tough one. Um I think I think almost or all the happiness strategies that I talk about in, in the How of Happiness uh, for Adults can be applied to children. Um, you just have to sort of adapt them, obviously, a little bit different. They're going to be different differently. And I mean, one one really effective one is is gratitude. You know, is to have them focus on you know one thing that is going well in your life. You know, one thing that you're grateful for. Um, Marty Seligman does a does a, his, an intervention that he's done a number of times is asking people to think about three good things that happened that day. And I've tried that with my kids, you know, at the dinner table, sort of what are three good things that happened. Right. We'll often say one bad thing and three good things because I don't want to ignore anything negative, and sometimes we need to talk about that. Um, so, um, yes, I think gratitude and positive thinking, and every child is different. And, and you know, kids are, are, are difficult, you know. I mean, I mean in some ways they're, they find it easier to become, be happy because they're more likely to live in the moment, you know. Yes. Um, on the other hand, something that drives me crazy is that they're, they tend not to be as grateful, right? We know kids don't sort of tend to appreciate, you know, what they have. Yeah, there's a little bit of an entitlement mentality out there these days. Yeah, you know, it's funny. My, my, my 10-year-old, um, I took her on a trip, and we, I, I was lucky enough to have a business class tickets. And, uh, you know, I didn't fly business class until I was, like, 35 years old for the first time. And, and she's like, now I can't fly anything but business class. Right. You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, try to, try to, and also little kids are also, you know, very materialistic. And so really teaching them 
uh, that you know that there's other things in life that are more important than things uh, is is challenging but important. No, and it, and it is a hard lesson for parents to have to teach. Now, um, you have uh, I guess been continuing to be an innovator in this in this area. What are you doing to add to your current toolkit that might um, keep our listeners tuned into your next book or perhaps something that you're going to be doing on, on your um, blog or your website? Sure, sure. Well, actually, I'm, I am working, beginning working on a second book. Um, it's really, really in the early stages, but it's going to be about the 10 biggest challenges in life, challenging moments or changes, um, and how people respond to them. And, and the, the key, I guess the theme of the book is that often what we think is the most appropriate or the best response to a an event or a challenge, whether it's positive or negative, is is often not the not the most appropriate response. And sometimes bad things can lead to good things, right? And 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 wonderful things can lead to tragic uh, consequences. So, so sort of that that should. This be- is fabulous stuff. I'm going to ask you just to hold that thought for one minute. We're going to come right back. This is leadership development news. So don't go away. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50 to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Dr. Greenberg, co-author of What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Women Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical training for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy herself is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group training, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch her at the Governor's Conference for Women Nationally and as spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America throughout 2009 for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results. To learn more about adding Kathy and Happy Company's healthy people to your team, visit Kathy at h2cleadership.com. That's h2cleadership.com. 
adding fractions is nothing. For real? Look, these are denominators. You multiply this one so that it's the same as that, then you add them up. Man, that's easy. Charles Bennett dreamed of returning to the old neighborhood as a teacher, but without money for college, only half of his dream came true. He's back in the old neighborhood. Well, enough math. I got to deliver these sandwiches. Please support the United Negro College Fund. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. A message from the UNCF and the Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you're leaving us today with some great ideas and inspiration from today's top leaders. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.